that comes from giving God the glory that he so deserves. Well, welcome back to Women in the Word. I think Karen mentioned last week that you are the ones crossing the finish line with Women in the Word. How many of you started in September? Yay, look at that. Is that amazing? I love it. If you didn't start in September, we're still glad you're here and you're still crossing the finish line. I wish we had uh, trophies or ribbons or whatever we could give out for all of us crossing the finish line. But we're going to do what we do best next week to celebrate our finish line crossing, and that is eat together. We're going to have a uh, closing salad luncheon, so get out your favorite salad recipes or your dessert recipes and make a salad and join us upstairs in Fellowship Hall as we celebrate together because it has been a great year. The Word of God never lets you down, does it? It totally uh, takes you along no matter where you are in your walk. I read some interesting things about counterfeiters this week. Now, a counterfeiter is someone that takes something that's valuable in its own right, maybe money or uh, a great piece of artwork. I read that the biggest uh, amount of counterfeiting in the world is actually artwork, which I didn't realize. Uh, it might be a designer label. How many of you have been to New York? And uh, is it Canal Street? Whatever. We're all trying to find a knockoff designer thing. Anyway, a counterfeiter takes something that is valuable in its own right, attempts to copy it, which of course is never quite perfect, and then profit from it. So I learned some trivia in my research on counterfeiting this week, so I'm going to give you some counterfeiting trivia. 400 years ago, the penalty for counterfeiting money in England was death because it was considered the highest form of treason against the government. In fact, once the colonies were established here in America, Ben Franklin printed the phrase, to counterfeit is death, on all of the currency of the province of Pennsylvania. Another bit of trivia that I learned is that the Secret Service, that we of course all see whenever the President and his family is around, was actually created in 1865 by Abraham Lincoln to stop the currency counterfeiters which were rampant at the end of the Civil War and were wreaking havoc on the U.S. Treasury. It wasn't until the assassination of William McKinley in 1901 that the Secret Service actually took over its role of protecting the President and its families. And then the final bit of trivia I learned about counterfeiting is that counterfeiting currency, and I thought this was fascinating, is not reserved simply for crooks who want to get ahead, which is how I think of it. Um, It's also used as a means of warfare. Flooding a country with fake currency destabilizes their economy. Great Britain tried it during the Revolutionary War against the colonies. The Nazis actually did it. They used uh, Jewish people that were in the concentration camps to to counterfeit money. They used it against the Allies. And then this is something that's actually all over the Internet. In the last decade, North Korea has been accused of circulating huge amounts of what's called super dollars. They're dollars that are even better looking than our own dollars. And uh, North Korea has been circulating super dollars in an attempt to destabilize the U.S. economy. And the CIA has been on top of this for the last 10 years. Now you know all the trivia about counterfeiting. Counterfeiting money is something that has been taken pretty seriously 
by governments for years. And what we're going to see today as we read on with Peter in Second Peter chapter 2 is that there's another form of counterfeiting. A form of counterfeiting where the truth is counterfeiting. It's called false teaching by Peter. And it's counterfeiting um, that we as believers and the church need to take really seriously because it has huge consequences both to the church and to God's people if we don't take counterfeiters seriously. In chapter 1 of his letter that we looked at with Deb last week, we saw Peter encourage his readers to strengthen themselves with the truth. And we had a great lesson centered on growing in our knowledge of Jesus through the truth of God's word. In the final verse of chapter 1, which is verse 21, Peter gives this affirmation, that the scriptures as given to us by men did not have their origin in men themselves. But truth, the truth that we have here, comes from God through the power of of the Holy Spirit. Truth is never made up by men. Um, Truth is God's word given to men. So as we dive into chapter 2, we're going to see Peter warn his readers with great passion. I hope you notice that. Great passion and great emotion concerning counterfeiters of the truth, false teachers that present a message that is not the truth. It is not the truth. In fact, it's contradictory to the message of the apostles who were actual witnesses to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And even though this is an emotional topic for Peter, he gives us some really great practical advice here, ladies, as we walk through what we should be aware of when it comes to counterfeiters. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up Peter's practical truth and learn to beware. So turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2 and let's begin. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with the stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. You know, Peter shares in these three verses right off the bat some of the characteristics of counterfeiters, common characteristics that all false teachers really share and that we should be aware of. And the first characteristic that he gives us is right here at the very first, and that is that counterfeiters are nothing new. It's not something that's just cropped up in the 21st century that we're having to deal with today in the New Testament church. Now, counterfeiters of God's truth are as old as time. Satan was counterfeiting the truth to Eve in the Garden of Eden when he said this to her in Genesis, Genesis 1. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Just a little bit of twist there on what God said. Satan was counterfeiting the truth. And Peter points out here in verse 1 that there were false prophets among the prophets of Israel in the Old Testament also. Jeremiah 5.30 on your verse sheet says this, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies, the priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it that way. A sad statement by the prophet Jeremiah. He also said this, and among the prophets of Jerusalem, 
I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his wickedness. They are like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. You know, the nation of Israel was constantly, constantly being led astray, much to God's chagrin, I believe, by the counterfeiters, by the false prophets of their day. You know, the prophet Elijah, we studied a few years ago in the book of Kings, the prophet Elijah had to contend with the prophets of Baal. Baal, they were those who promoted a pagan religion. But really, it was the Jewish false prophets who claimed to speak for Yahweh, who claimed to speak for Jehovah God, that actually did the most damage to the nation of Israel throughout the ages. Yes, counterfeiters are old news, Peter wants us to know, but he wants us to know they are still dangerous. They're still a danger, and they're going to exist and be a threat in the future. In the New Testament church that we um, sit in today, false teachers will be a danger. Now, in verse 1, you notice he switches. He says, starts out with false prophets, and then he switches to false teachers, um, because that's what we have here in the church today. We don't have prophets. We have teachers. He switches, and we see our next characteristic of false teachers, and that is that they are among us. Among us. They're not attackers from the outside. They will claim to be a part of the church. They will identify themselves with the faith. They will be sitting in the pews next to you and next to me. They're going to be hosting a TV show with their Bible. I saw one flip the channels the other night, and there was, they were talking about something random, but they had a Bible on their lap, which is saying, this is what I believe. Some will lead whole churches. Paul talks about this in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders, where he says this in Acts 20:29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. You know, counterfeiters are not going to scale the walls. We don't have to build moats and walls around the church to protect ourselves from counterfeiters. They're going to walk right in our front door, armed with their own agenda. We must beware. Counterfeiters walk right in the front door. And that brings us to Peter's next characteristic of a counterfeiter. And that after they walk in the front door, they're going to infiltrate the church with false doctrine. Peter uses the words here in verse uh, 1. He says, secretly introduce destructive heresy. Now, a heresy, I don't know whether you looked it up or whether you knew the definition, but a heresy is an idea inconsistent with the revealed truth of God. Now, in the original Greek, actually it meant a sect or um, a party. Uh, people would draw together based on their ideas, and they would be a particular sect. But Peter's using it here as an idea inconsistent with the revealed truth of God. Secretly introduce, which he uses also, literally means in the original language just to bring along beside. Counterfeiters of the truth don't go in and say, throw out the Bible, stop teaching who Jesus is. What they do is come along beside the truth that's already being taught, the truth that already exists, and they seek to add something to it just to substitute one thing here or there for 
the real truth in an unobtrusive way. You know, counterfeiters don't usually change the whole truth. They just tweak it a little bit. Take out something that is important to our doctrine and add something that's never been there before to suit themselves. They modify it in such a way that you don't often think until later. Wait a minute. What did I hear them say? Did I hear them say that this is just a myth? Did I hear them say that maybe Jesus isn't who he says he is? He's just a good man? In doing so, in the tweaking and the changing and the adding, this is where the danger lies. They are subtly changing the doctrinal foundation of the church. When I was a kid, my dad was known for his hush puppies, and we would have family fish fries. He was a big fisherman, and so we would have family fish fries, and on Friday night he would fry up the fish and and bite the neighbors and whip up his hush puppies that everybody raved about. And one Friday night he went to make these hush puppies, and we did not have any baking powder. So he thought, hey, baking powder, baking soda, it's all the same. So he put baking soda and his hush puppies, and you know what? They looked exactly the same. They fried up and eat really crisp golden brown, and they smelled great. But when you bit into one, you definitely knew the difference. They were horrible. You totally had to spit it out. You could not swallow it. You know, baking soda, all of us that are cooks know, is no substitute for baking powder. And counterfeit truth, truth that is made up by men rather than the revealed truth of God is no substitute for God's truth, no matter how you sneak it in, no matter how you sneak it in. And at some point, it's no longer palpable. And just like those hush puppies, you have to spit it out. Paul gives us a great example of counterfeit truth that tried to infiltrate the early church in Galatians, where he says in Galatians 2, 3, and 4, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. You know, circumcision had never been a part of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet some were trying to come in and say, it is, and you should be doing it. Fortunately, Paul knew the truth and he stood by the truth so as not to pollute the gospel. Counterfeiters infiltrate the church with false doctrine, just like baking soda uh, instead of baking powder. But I think perhaps the most interesting characteristic is, uh, of counterfeiters is their astonishing inconsistency. Uh, And we see that astonishing inconsistency at the end of verse 1 where Peter says, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. You know, this is an interesting verse. And I have to tell you that there have been volumes written on what this verse is talking about, which is unlimited atonement. And we don't have time to talk about unlimited atonement. It would be a fun topic to take up someday, but we can't do it this morning. What I am going to tell you is that this is a statement that most likely means that Christ's death on the cross paid the price for their salvation, for the salvation of even the false teachers. But these false teachers did not take that um, that had been credited to them as righteousness and apply it to their life. They just left it sitting there. They knew it was there. They left the payment sitting there. 
False teachers had been bought and paid for, but they never chose to access the payment that was made for them. Paul affirms um, the debt that has been paid for all men in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Christ's death was sufficient for all, is what Peter is saying here, but only efficient for those who have chosen to believe in him. So these are people who have joined a faith system, who have walked in the front door of a church or a home church claiming to be uh, Christians, built solely on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then they turn around and deny that sacrifice, deny some portion of who Jesus was. And you know, as weird as that sounds... uh, To us today when we talk about it, we all know people like that. We all know people who call themselves Christians but say, you know, I don't think Jesus is the only way. We were talking this morning in the small group leader meeting about a radio interview with a high-profile pastor of a church. And he would not commit himself to saying Jesus was the only way. Warren Wiersbe points out in his commentary on Second Peter that counterfeiters or false teachers are better known for what they deny than for what they affirm. And certainly we see that in the world around us all, everywhere today. Um, we see churches and people who claim to be Christians but deny the very basic tenets of the faith. They deny the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. They deny the virgin birth. Perhaps they deny the sacrificial death of Jesus, or they deny salvation by faith alone. You have to add a little works to it, um, they say. They may deny the reality of eternal judgment. Oh, there's not really a hell. There's never going to be a place where people are sent if they don't know Christ. And especially what you see the most, I believe, is they deny the deity of Christ. I googled on my computer, do all Christians believe Jesus is divine? You cannot imagine what you come up with if you Google that. Go home this afternoon and do that. Do all Christians believe Jesus is divine? I came to a blog that had a discussion of it. I read some of the blog. Um, These are the majority of the things that the blog said. Well, as a Christian, we believe he was a prophet. Um, Well, as a Christian, I don't know that the Bible actually said he was God. I thought, okay, I should get your name and write you back that the Bible didn't actually say he was God. Uh, That was based on the fact that it says when Jesus went um, to heaven, he only sat at the right hand of the Father. If he'd really been God, he'd have been sitting where God was. Uh, That was interesting. Uh, And then uh, my favorite, which came up over and over again, was your answer depends on your definition of Christian. Yes, certainly, I believe it does depend on your definition of Christian. Peter tells us that these very inconsistencies that make, um, that make these people counterfeiters or false teachers are going to be the same inconsistencies that lead to their destruction. And he does not make any bones about that. Deny Christ is going to lead you straight to destruction. And let me say here, um, and I'm going to say it again before I close, Peter is not talking, when you read through this, Peter is not talking in any way about losing our salvation. He's not talking about people that had a true and genuine faith in Christ, whose heart was changed 
from the inside out and then lost their salvation. The scriptures are very clear that our salvation cannot be lost. Once we confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that Jesus died for our sins, we are forever saved. Counterfeits who deny Christ have never truly professed Christ to start with. John 5.24 affirms that um, our salvation is forever. John says, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And that is a bridge we can't turn around and go back over once we have crossed over through our faith in Christ. Now, verses 2 and 3 give us the final characteristics of a counterfeit, of counterfeiters, and that is that they are very successful exploiters. And you know, as amazing as it seems, people follow them. As foolish as what they say seems to us, they have huge followings. There are, um, uh, in fact, Peter says here in verse 2, many will follow them and their shameful ways. And it's true. It's true. We see it all the time. It's true that when you abandon God's standard of truth, you always then adopt a lower standard of morality, uh, a worldly standard. And unfortunately, when you have a lower standard of morality, you never lack followers, do you? People want in on that deal. Um, Theologian John Lilly said this, which I thought was interesting. No doctrine, however senseless and monstrous, which under the guise of religious faith ministers to the sensual appetites of men, will ever want followers. If you begin to minister to the sensual appetites of men, you're going to have a crowd walk behind you, unfortunately. And that was true in the first century church, and it's true today. Counterfeiters never lack for followers. In February of 2001, in Danville, Kentucky, a customer pulled through the drive-thru of a local Dairy Queen and paid for a $2 blizzard with a phony $200 bill. It had a picture of George Bush on the front, and on the back it had a picture of an oil well. In addition to that, it had a little picture, and I saw a picture of it. Uh, It had a little picture of the White House with a sign in the yard that said, We love broccoli. Remember the big thing about George Bush didn't like broccoli? Um, They paid with this bill. The counterfeiter got their blizzard and $198 in change from a girl at the drive-thru that had a very expensive lesson that day in being aware of the characteristics of true uh, currency versus counterfeit currency. There is no $200 bill, ladies, in case you don't know that. It doesn't exist. And certainly there isn't a bill that has George Bush's picture on it and the White House with a broccoli sign in the yard. Um, Paul wants his readers, he wants all of us to know what to look for, what to look for uh, in counterfeiters so that we don't end up making costly mistakes with our faith, with our churches, and in the lives of other believers. Okay, let's read on. Let's read verses 4 through 10. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood or its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, um, 
For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. You know, in his passion and exuberance here. I don't know whether you noticed, but Paul writes one big long sentence that starts at verse 4 and doesn't end until the end of verse 9. In fact, I think it's actually the longest sentence in the entire New Testament. And in it, he gives us three great examples of God's judgment and punishment. And he does that so we realize that there are significant consequences associated with counterfeiters. You know, what they do is crummy. But what is going to happen to them is even crummier. And Peter does not want us to um, forget that. The first example he gives us is of the fallen angels. And it's really not clear. Theologians were all over the map here about whether Peter is talking about the angels that actually rebelled with Satan when Satan fell from heaven. Or whether he's talking about the angels in Genesis 6 who came to earth and married women. But regardless of which angels Peter is actually talking about here, his point is, in talking about them, if God did not even spare his angels from punishment... But in his justice, in his true and righteous justice, punished angels for their sin and rebellion, then people, people who repel, are going to have to expect no less. The angels got their punishment. We counterfeiters, anyone who deserves judgment, is going to receive it. Counterfeiters, beware. You're not above the judgment of God. Neither was the angels. Peter's second illustration is about the sinners in Noah's day who were judged and punished by God. You know, I think Peter does want to encourage the righteous here, and I hope you were encouraged uh, when you read these verses, even as he points out consequences for the unrighteous. You know, the faithful in Noah's day were just a few. It was just Noah and then his sons and daughter-in-laws in the midst of a generation, a civilization, an entire civilization, civilization that populated the earth. Noah and his family were the only that were um, righteous. But God plucked them out of that entire civilization and then punished an entire civilization for its sin. You know, counterfeiters are going to suffer the consequences of their sin no matter how big they're following. It doesn't matter if they have influenced an entire civilization to follow them. They will still be judged. They should never think because they have a huge following, because they have a church that follows them, or a town that follows them, uh, that they are too big or too famous for um, the God of all the universe to judge and to uh, punish. God will pluck out the faithful few and destroy the rest. He did it in Noah's day, and I would guarantee you he's going to do it again. Peter's third example is of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's a reminder to all of us that even though God is long-suffering... And he doesn't want anyone to perish. We've talked about that in recent weeks. His judgment, um, when it comes, is always in his time. But it's going to be swift and it's going to be universal against the ungodly counterfeiters. And those who follow them should not forget. Peter wants us to know the um, example that was made of Sodom and Gomorrah. One minute, the ungodly ruled two huge cities. 
they had free reign in two huge, prosperous cities. And the next minute, they were toast. It was an instant judgment of God. There will be many counterfeiters and many followers that perish swiftly in the blink of an eye in the fire. Peter, Second Peter um, 3, verses 5 through 7 says... But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. water. But these waters, by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter wants the faithful to take heart. He wants us to take heart and be encouraged in his great power to protect Uh, the godly, even in the midst of unrighteous counterfeiters. But we, the godly, also have to be aware that in God's economy, there is a price that is going to be paid for unrighteous behavior. Counterfeiters, counterfeiting comes with consequences. Okay, let's read verses 10 through 16 together. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, yet even angels. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. Like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, uh, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. You know, you have to love Peter when you read him. His point in these verses is that false teachers, counterfeiters of the truth, have very hardened hearts, hearts that are like rocks. And these hard hearts wave red flags that we should all recognize. Peter does not want us to think, you know, these are, these are great people. We just need to give them a little bit of grace. Or, you know, these are really, they, these are nice people. They're just a little kooky in their ideas. They have different ideas. Yes, um, they do need grace. But it's the grace that comes with repentance, not the grace of license to continue down the path of rebellion, taking others with them. Uh, Peter gives us red flags here that we need to pay pretty close attention to. And the first red flag in verses 10 and 11 uh, is that we see counterfeiters are rebellious and arrogant. Uh, In fact, they despise authority so much that even slandering angels does not scare them. It doesn't scare them. In the short book of Jude, we read of Michael, the archangel. And Michael humbly understands where true authority lies. I mean, this is God's archangel that he sends um, uh, to do his work. And yet, Michael has a humble heart. Jude 8 and 9. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. Um, Jude is talking about false teachers here. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not 
dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You know, Michael the archangel does not even dare to slander the devil in his humility here. Um, Yet counterfeiters, counterfeiters are not afraid to slander anyone. They're not afraid to slander anyone. We should take a wide path around anyone in the church, anyone in the faith who claims to have the truth, to know the scriptures, yet refuses to come under any authority in the church, who claims to be a leader but is steeped in arrogance and self-will. Don't miss the red flag of rebellion and arrogance and pride um, that is waved by the hard heart of arrogant of uh, counterfeiters. Proverbs 8, 13 on your verse talks about pride and arrogance. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Unfortunately, counterfeiters embrace their pride and their arrogance. The second um, thing that Peter tells us here in verses 12 through 14 is that counterfeiters wave the red flag of chronic sin in their life. Uh, you know, he says they're like animals operating out of the instinct of their sin nature rather than out of their rational choices. I was reminded when I read this of a dog that chases a car. Have you ever had a dog or uh, had a dog that chases a car? My husband's a veterinarian, and for years he had a client that would bring their dog in over and over again because any time the dog got out and they lived on a busy street, out of instinct, no matter how many times this dog was hurt, it ran right out the front door and chased the car. And then, of course, the car would hit it and it would uh, be in pain and have to be uh, restored. The dog never made a rational choice to stop chasing cars. It acted on pure instinct time and time again. It followed its animal nature. Fortunately, the owner finally made a rational choice um, to stop letting the dog out. But according to Peter in verse 12... Counterfeiters act like animals over and over and over again, talking of things that they don't understand over and over again. They never stop doing that, Peter says. In verse 13, he also tells us that counterfeiters are so bold in their sin, in their chronic sin, they don't even wait for dark anymore. They're not even having to sneak around. They do whatever they do in broad daylight. Um, for years, it's not as prominent anymore, but for years when I would um, drive on the highway towards Alito, there were a couple of those, I think they're X-rated movie places. And in broad daylight, the parking lots would be full. I would think, okay, so this is your lunch hour? You're just driving over here to the X-rated video place? Counterfeiters um, shamelessly practice their immorality in broad daylight. Chronic sin is a red flag we should not ignore in those who say they know the truth and they claim Christ. Don't ignore the red flag of chronic sin. And the third red flag that Peter shares with us here is that false teachers, sadly enough, always lure other people to come along with them. They take advantage of those in the church um, who are not grounded in their faith, who've come into the church because they're wounded or hurt or they've felt the Spirit of God call them, but they haven't been there long enough to really study the Word of God and know what it says. And with the expertise of a fisherman, with the expertise of a fisherman, I saw a, a 
a picture this last weekend of a man that had caught a record-breaking speckled trout. And he described it as he was in his boat fishing for speckled trout, and he saw it in about 12 inches of water. And then he laid his fly up right next to it and caught the trout. He did it deliberately. He lured the trout. And that's exactly what um, counterfeiters do to those who are new uh, to the church, not grounded in their faith, not yet committed to Christ. They lure them with the expertise of a fisherman. And the last red flag here is the flag of greed. In fact, Peter describes them as experts in greed. Peter makes um, use of the Old Testament example of Balaam and his donkey here in verses 15 and 16 to make his point. Balaam was a false prophet uh, in the Old Testament who was motivated by greed, and he tried to get the king of Moab um, to pay him to trick the Israelites into idol worship. Uh, He was motivated simply by greed. In Numbers 31, God uses a mere animal. This is how stupid Balaam was. God took a donkey to uh, speak truth to Balaam and keep him from luring the Israelites to destruction. Balaam had a hard heart that was waving the red flag of greed. He was willing to sacrifice the people he was supposed to be a prophet to for his own gain. Now, those of you um, who are old enough in the room here today may remember um, the TV evangelist Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. They had a lavish TV ministry. They were known for preaching and teaching the prosperity gospel, which is actually a gospel, um, a false teaching, I believe, that says that God wants us all to be uh, financially prosper. That's his goal, is that we would financially prosper and that if we'll give money to God, he'll return it to us uh, tenfold. Now, it is true that God blesses our giving. He does bless us. Uh, it says God loves a cheerful giver. But the truth is, God chooses the blessing. And it may not be that we have millions of dollars that we're blessed with in return for our giving. Giving is never a way to manipulate God. Uh, into giving you riches, and I believe the prosperity gospel is a slap in the face uh, to the poor but faithful Christians around the world who love Christ and are not getting rich out of it. Jim and Tammy Faye built an empire um, on people's giving by preaching uh, the prosperity gospel, and that empire included houses and hotels and theme parks and jet airplanes. Uh, Jim Baker was caught in a sex scandal, in the late 1980s, and it revealed that there was a pattern of chronic sin in their life when the whole thing came out. Uh, it was Their life was actually one that had all the red flags that Peter mentions here. There was greed. They lived a lavish lifestyle off of ministry money. There was um, sex and broad. There was uh, sin in broad daylight. There was uh, mistresses and homosexual liaisons. There was also rebellion because they ran their own ministry and refused to come under the authority of the board that was supposed to be uh, using it. And they there was fraud. They used resources supposedly taken for the cause of Christ, but for their own purposes. And they lured millions of people um, into giving their money to gain prosperity. Now, Jim Baker was actually indicted in 1988, and I think he spent 
uh, seven or eight years in prison. He paid for his crimes. And actually, he's written several books that talk about his repentance and how wrong um, that he was to his credit. And I think he's been involved in some legitimate ministry since that time. But even with his repentance, this scandal was a blot and a blemish on the church, which is what Peter talks about here. A blot and a blemish on the church because all that Jim Baker did before his repentance, he did while he embraced the name of Jesus Christ. He did while he said um, he held this to be true. Our lesson from Peter is that believers, as believers, we need to be aware of the red flags that are waved by the hardened hearts of counterfeiters. Okay, let's finish up real quickly, verses 17 through 22. These men are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Black, blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever was mastered, has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. You know, false teachers are hypocrites in every sense of the word. You know, if you go to a spring or anticipate a rain from a rain cloud and there's nothing there, uh, you're going to be disappointed. You're still going to be thirsty if the spring is empty and the rain cloud produces nothing but mist. And the same is true with the hypocritical words of counterfeiters. They are just like an empty spring. They are never going to satisfy. They're never going to refresh. They will never restore. And we should weep over the possibility that people have come to church, any church that professes Christ, looking for truth, looking for refreshment, looking for living water, but have instead encountered false teachers, counterfeiters, who give them only empty words, with false freedoms and license to keep on sinning. It is important to note, once again, as you read through these final few verses, I hope you weren't confused. Peter has used the word, as he's used the word they in these verses, um, he is never talking about someone who had a true faith and then lost it. Uh, We can never lose our salvation, as I said earlier. Peter is talking in these verses about counterfeiters that were never saved, who who only had a knowledge of spiritual truth, but never had a belief in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter gives us a false warning, gives false teachers a warning here in verse 21. Uh, He says to them, it would have been better for them to have never heard the truth than to have heard it and rejected it. It would have been better if they would just had their fingers in their ears and gone la, 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 rather than to have heard it and walked away from it. Hebrews 6 on your verse sheet says, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land 
that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being that's supposed to be cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Um, Hearing the truth and walking away from it, adding to it, being a counterfeiter is going to result in your being cursed. And he gives a warning in verse 22. He gives us a warning in verse 22 where he says, false teachers and counterfeiters of the truth can clean themselves up on the outside, but you know, on the inside, they haven't really changed. Their true natures, their true natures, what's on the inside of them is going to take them back to their true lifestyles eventually, destroying and ruining anyone that accompanies them on the journey. You know, if you hang out with a pig, no matter how pretty that pig is, eventually you're going to find yourself in the pig pen with them. I believe that Peter is so passionate about counterfeiters and their ways here in these 22 verses is because Peter has known one. Peter has had a very personal experience with someone that really ticks all these boxes off on your outline. It was someone that was on the inside, not someone that came from the outside. It was someone that infiltrated believers to um, give their own truth, not to listen to the real truth. It was someone that was inconsistent, someone that was greedy, someone that was hypocritical, someone that tried their best to destroy the truth, and someone whose true nature they finally returned to and it betrayed them. Peter knows the destruction that counterfeiters can wreak because he stood there and watched Judas give Jesus a kiss on the cheek in the garden so the soldiers would arrest him. What's a believer to do with counterfeiters? I think based on his own experience, Peter would tell us all, beware, beware. Pray with me, ladies. Lord, we just praise you this morning and thank you for the truth. Thank you for the fact that we have um, your inspired word right here in our hands. We hold it in our laps. We can carry it with us to lunch today. We can open it up this afternoon. We can get up in the morning and have it right with us again. Thank you, Lord, for your truth of the word of God. Um, Father, I thank you for a church that stands firmly on um, the atoning sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, that believes that salvation is a gift of God um, through faith and that that is your grace in our lives. And Lord, I thank you for these women that are committed to knowing the truth, that will understand uh, the consequences, that will recognize the characteristics, will see the red flags, and will beware. And Father, I pray your hand of blessing and favor on each of us today. I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.